Good morning, everyone. It's good to be with you this morning. I'm excited this morning to continue our series called This is Hope, Our Place in God's Story. Uh, in this sermon series, we are thinking about the three core values of our church, Christ, community, and compassion. And we're thinking about how those core values fit within the bigger story of God throughout history. Um, I know that I've talked with some of you about this. I'm sure a lot of you in here have been listening to the new hit podcast, The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. Uh, if you haven't been listening to it, it's fascinating. It's this story about this uh, church in Seattle that was led by a really abusive pastor that about 10 to 15 years ago became super successful and then imploded uh, on itself. Um, because lots of people were okay with this pastor being really abusive. It's a, it's a fascinating and terrible story. As I have listened to this podcast, I've been really grateful for hope in lots of different ways in contrast to what's going on there. But one of the things that really strikes me about that church, and it's not unique to that church, is how, um, is how it felt like if you wanted to be involved in what God is doing, you had to be at that one particular church. Right? There's lots of churches in America that live with this idea that God is participating in what we are doing. And we're in our city or our state or our place and we're going to change it and God's going to help. But the whole point of this series is to say that that is totally backwards. God is not participating in what we are doing, but we are participating in what God is doing. God has been on a mission from the beginning of history, and these three values, Christ, community, and compassion, are not things we've made up. These are our ways of summarizing what we believe God is doing and how we believe that we join God in that. The locus of God's activity isn't just here. We are people who play a part in a much bigger, grander, and more glorious story. We've seen this so far in this sermon series already. We started with the, the story of creation, how God created us to be in relationship with Christ. And then in Genesis 3, in the story of the fall, we saw how that relationship was broken, but even in the midst of it, God promised a savior who would restore it. Last week, Craig talked about Genesis 12 and how when God began this process of restoring God's people to himself, he did it by establishing a community. And so this morning, we want to continue to think about that community. What it doesn't mean for God to establish a community. Craig uh, preached on this last week, and there was, there was a lot of good stuff in his sermon, but there was one thing especially that stuck with me, and it was Craig said, uh, often when we go to a new place, we, we want to find community, but ultimately we're not called to find community. We are called to build community. So what I want to ask this morning is if we are called to build community, what kind of community are we called to build? What is this community that we are supposed to build? What should it look like? And so to think about that question together, we're going to look at a passage from 1 Kings chapter 
8. 1 Kings chapter 8. Uh, what's going on in 1 Kings chapter 8 before we read it? So uh, we left off last week with Abraham, and now we're moving all the way to 1 Kings chapter 8. So here's a quick and dirty summary of, of all the stuff that's happened in between. Okay, so there was this dude, Abraham. He had a kid. He had a kid. He had 12 kids. They had a bunch of kids. They all went to Egypt. They were in slavery there for a while. Moses came, Prince of Egypt movie. They all left. They didn't enter the promised land because they didn't believe God, so they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, and then eventually they got into the promised land. And then for a while, they were living there, and they didn't really have a government. They had these like military leaders who would come from time to time called judges. And then eventually the people were like, eh, this is kind of lame. We want a king because other people have kings. And God's like, I'm your king. And they're like, eh, we still want a king. So they have their first king, and his name is Saul, and he's not very good. And they have their second king, and his name is David. And like, he's kind of good in one way, but he's also really bad in some other ways. But then when David is king, he, he thinks, he's like, hey, God has been dwelling in this tent, this tabernacle, this non-permanent structure. And I think it'd be a good idea to build God a temple. And God says to David, like, hey, good idea, but I don't want you to do it. I want your son, Solomon, to do it. So then we get the next king, Solomon. He builds a temple. And now we're at 1 Kings chapter 8. So in 1 Kings chapter 8, Solomon has just built the temple, and he is in the process of dedicating the temple and praying a prayer of dedication for the temple. Now, it might seem a little weird to use a prayer of dedication for a temple in a sermon about community, but I think it's actually a really good parallel to what we're doing here. When Solomon built the temple, he was saying, this community of Israel, this is what brings us together. This is the center of who we are, and this is what we should be. And we're doing the same thing here. We're building a community centered around the church. We're building a community centered around hope. So 1 Kings chapter 8. The passage is a little long, so we're not going to read all of it at once. Uh, we're going to read a chunk, talk about it, read a chunk, talk about it, etc., etc. Uh, if you have Bibles with you, or you can look in the screen, 1 Kings chapter 8, beginning with verse 27. Solomon prays, but will God indeed dwell on the earth? Even heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you, much less this house that I have built. Regard your servant's prayer and his plea, O Lord my God, heeding the cry and the prayer that your servant prays to you today, that your eyes may be open night and day towards this house, the place of which you said, my name shall be there that you may heed the prayer that your servant prays towards this place. Hear the plea of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray towards this place. Oh, hear in heaven your dwelling place. Heed and forgive. So Solomon, in this prayer uh, of dedication for the temple, begins by saying, God, I know that you don't really dwell here, but God, let your name live and reside in this place. So the first thing is that this community that he was establishing was a community of the name, a community of God's name. The community of Israel was defined and was brought together by their relationship to God. That is what made them unique. That is what made them special. That is what separated them from other communities. The same is true of us. We should be a community of the name. We are a community that is defined by our relationship to Christ. This is why our second value, community, is inherently tied to our first value, 
Christ. These values can't be separated from each other. We are a community because we have been called by Christ. We are a community that has been saved by Christ. We are a community that seeks to follow after Christ. We are a community that can only do all of the other things that I'm about to mention in this sermon because we are empowered and strengthened by Christ. We cannot separate these two things. There's lots of communities in this world, in this city, in this area, but what makes us who we are is our relationship to Christ. This isn't just a Sunday morning social hour or a Sunday morning concert. This is a chance for us to come together to pursue Jesus more. What does it actually mean to be a community of Christ, a community of the name? I think in this section that I just read, Solomon, um, Solomon uh, sets an example for us in, in doing at least two things. First of all, he praises God. Um, a big portion of this section is saying, God, you are greater than this temple. God, you are glorious. You dwell in the highest heaven. You are wonderful and true, and this place can't contain you. To be a community of Christ means that we praise God, but then also Solomon is praying in this section. He is asking that the temple will be a place that the people of Israel can go to and call out to God, and God will hear them, and God will respond to them. Both of these things, praise and prayer, have to go together. It's really easy for us, I think, to neglect one or the other, or if we're super honest, both, uh, to be people who, const- who just give God praise but aren't willing to be humble enough about the struggles of our life, or we are people who only go to God when we need something and aren't willing to praise God and rejoice in who God is. But if we want to be a community of the name, we have to be committed to both of these things simultaneously. They work together, prayer and praise. We're going. We're going. Next thing. Uh, Verse 31. If someone sins against a neighbor and is given an oath to swear and comes and swears before your altar in this house, then hear in heaven and act and judge your servants, condemning the guilty by bringing their conduct on their own head and vindicating the righteous by rewarding them according to their righteousness. So here Solomon is praying that the temple will be a place where when one person sins against another person, The people can come, and the guilty will be condemned, and the righteous will be vindicated. He is asking that this community will be one of justice, and the same should be true for us. We must be a community of justice, a community that recognizes when one person sins against another, a community that is not afraid to condemn the guilty and vindicate the righteous. When we see someone sinning against another, when someone harms another, when someone makes someone else a victim, we have to be people who stand with those who are harmed, who are sinned against, who are victimized, and we have to be willing to call out those people who are doing the sinning, the harming, the victiming, the victimizing. You get what I'm saying. 
This is, this is something that I think so many churches across the American landscape are really struggling with. We all hear these stories of these great pastors who, um, who fall because of some scandal, right? And often it's, it's an abuse of power. It can just be a straight uh, abusive relationship with other people or sometimes it's abuse of power in a sexual way, but th- causing these people to fall. And in every one of those stories, there's people around who are refusing to stand up for victims, who are refusing to call out those who are guilty. We need to be a community of justice that isn't afraid to stand. We, this means additionally that this community should be one of conflict resolution. Solomon is praying that, that when one sins against another, they can come to the temple and that the issue can be dealt with. What does it look like for us to be a community of conflict resolution? This means that we, we shouldn't be the kind of community that seeks to unnecessarily provoke and create conflict, right? I think there are, uh, there's definitely communities and churches that love to just be provocative for the sake of being pro- provocative and stir up conflict. That's not what we should be, but we also can't ignore conflict when it is. When there is conflict, we need to be willing to call it out and to honestly address it. We need to be a community of justice. Moving on, verse 33. When your people Israel, having sinned against you, are defeated before an enemy but turn again to you, confess your name, pray, and plead with you in this house, then hear in heaven, Forgive the sin of your people, Israel, and bring them again to the land that you gave to their ancestors. Here Solomon is praying about Israel and saying when they sin, not against another person, but when they sin against you, God, and come to this place and confess, then may you hear and forgive. He is asking that they will be a community of confession. Now, in this passage, he's saying that they sin against God and then they suffer a defeat from an enemy and then they confess. I hope that we don't need to suffer a defeat from an enemy or some sort of external tragedy for us to admit our sin to God, but we need to be a community of confession. We need to be a community that is humble and honest enough to confess our sins collectively like we just did, but also to one another and together before God. Now, hand in hand with confession is forgiveness. We need to be people who can receive a confession from someone else and offer forgiveness to them. And I think this is really important in light of the last point. Oftentimes, justice and forgiveness are pitted as if they are contrary to one another, but they work hand in hand. To be a community of justice and a community of confession and forgiveness work together and need to go together. I think being a community of confession is more than just, you know, having you know, an awkward small group where everyone goes around and, and says what they're struggling with, although it certainly can be that. Nothing wrong with that. But being a community of confession means that we should be people who aren't constantly putting on a performance. means that we need to be people who, you know, the the cliche, we got to be real with each other. 
We don't need to pretend like we always have the answers and everything figured out or everything in our life is under control and going really well. But we need to be a community that is honest with one another. Moving on to the next section, verse 35, Solomon prays. When heaven is shut up and there is no rain because they have sinned against you, and then they pray towards this place, confess your name and turn from their sin because you punish them. Then hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your servants, your people Israel, when, they teach, when you teach them the good way in which they should walk and grant rain on your land which you have given to your people as an inheritance. If there is a famine in the land, if there is plague, blight, mildew, locust, or caterpillar, if their enemy besieges them in any of their cities, Whatever plague, whatever sickness there is, whatever prayer, whatever plea there is from any individual or from all your people, Israel, all knowing the afflictions of their own hearts so that they stretch out their hands towards this house, then hear in heaven your dwelling place, forgive and act and render to all whose hearts you know according to all their ways for only you know what is in every human heart so that they may fear you all the days that they live in the land that you gave to our ancestors. So here Solomon is describing a variety of problems that the community might experience. They might experience no rain and a famine. They might experience plagues or sicknesses or locusts that eat their crops or an enemy attacking them. And Solomon is saying, whenever those things happen, can the temple be a place where we come together to offer these things to you, a place where we can come together and give each other support? We need to be a community of support, a community where we can bring the issues and struggles of our lives to God and to, God and to one another and to receive help from one another. Are we that kind of community? Are we the kind of community where when someone is struggling, we are eager to hear from them and come alongside them and help them? Are we the kind of community that when you are struggling, you are willing to be honest and vulnerable about those things to us? Or do we feel this need to put on this performance of, of personal perfection? This week, I was uh, having a conversation with a friend of mine who's a pastor at another place. And uh, we were talking about how hard it is to build like real community in churches in America. And I think part of the issue here is that so much of American, in so much of American culture, community is performative. We really feel this need to, to put it uh, to put ourselves out there in this sort of image that we want to craft of who we want to be. I remember as a kid, whenever someone would come over to our house, right, and an hour before someone comes over, my mom's like running around yelling at all of us to clean up everything, right, because people can't know that there's a mess, that we ever have a mess. They can never know that our house is messy. That would be crazy. But then when I was in college, I lived with this family from my church who um, really changed a lot of how I viewed community because I saw the sort of open and honest community that they created. A community where you could come over even if the house was dirty. A community where you could sit in the living room even when the kids are throwing a tantrum. 
And the honesty and the vulnerability of it created a community that when I was struggling, I wanted to be in, not a community that I wanted to retreat from. It became a community of rest and refreshment because it was a community that was honest. That's what I want for us. I want us to be a community where you don't have to get everything together before you come over. A community where you don't have to pretend like everything in your life is put together. A community where you can invite someone over to your apartment, even if it's a tiny studio and all you can feed them is peanut butter and jelly, even if it's messy and the kids are throwing a tantrum. And I want us to be people who can go over to someone's house when it's messy and the kids are throwing a tantrum and to understand that those moments can be holy because those moments are real life community moments. And what makes the community holy isn't the beauty of the space or the quality of the food, but what makes a community holy is the people together. We need to be a community of support that is willing to be honest about our struggles, but is also willing to come alongside one another in those struggles. Last section, verse 41. Solomon prays. Likewise, when a foreigner who is not one of your people, Israel, comes from a distant land because of your name, for they shall hear of your great name, your mighty hand, and your outstretched arm. When a foreigner comes and prays towards this house, then hear in heaven your dwelling place and do according to all that foreigner calls to you so that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you as do your people, Israel, and so that they may know that, this, that your name has been invoked on this house that I have built. Here Solomon recognizes that the temple does not exist just for Israel, but he prays that the temple will be a place where foreigners can come and call on God. This goes back to what we talked about last week when, when God promised Abraham that Abraham would be a blessing to all the nations. This is, a, is part of that fulfillment. It's part of what we saw in Genesis chapter 3 two weeks ago when God promised that, that the head of the serpent would be crushed. You see, the community of Israel recognized that they didn't exist solely for their own sake, but they existed for the nations to see God, and the same is true for us. This church does not exist simply for the people in this, in this room. This community does not exist solely for the sake of, commun- of this community. We don't exist solely for ourselves. We do not buy into the American lie that says people are at their very base consumers. We don't exist just for Sunday morning, but we exist for those other six days of the week. We exist not just to consume, but to build. We exist to go out into the world and to create communities of compassion that introduce others to Christ. Church, we are not here just for us. And this is why our second value of community is inherently tied to our third value of compassion. That as a community, we exist to demonstrate God's love and compassion to the world. We need to be a community of mission. 
a community that reaches outside of these walls, and a community that invites others into the deep, rich love of God. If we really want to be this kind of community, it's hard. It's really hard. I've just given us a lot. I've just preached a five-point sermon, which uh, if you know you talk to anyone who does homiletics, that's too much. It's way too many points, right? You're not going to remember five points. No, you're not going to remember five points. I'll be very impressed if you do, but let's be honest, you're probably not. The point of this sermon is not to be an exhaustive list of every single thing we have to do. The point of this sermon is to illustrate this is the kind of community that we should strive for. And to do this will require an honest and difficult reevaluation of our priorities. It will require adjusting our calendars. It will require being honest about where we place our time, where we place our finances, and where we place our emotional energy. But I honestly believe that if we could do it, if we were honest about it, if we worked hard together, then it would be worth it. To have a community centered around God's name, a community where we can experience justice, where we can experience con confession, where we can experience support, a community defined by God's purpose to the world, a community that is playing our part in what God has been doing throughout history from the beginning. So here are, here are at least two things I want you to think about doing. First of all, I want you to seriously pray about what it means for you to be involved in this community, about what part you can play to craft this community into the kind of community that we are striving for. And I want you to talk about that with someone. I want you to talk about that with someone, whether it's your spouse or your roommate or your parents or your partner or your friend or I, I don't care. I don't care. I want you to pray about it and I want you to talk to someone about it. I also think for many people in this room, the practical step that you need to take is simply to just get involved. You need to just get involved. We go to, we go to lunch after service. Come to lunch. If you haven't joined a hope group, join a hope group. If there's someone here you don't know, go out to coffee with them or invite them over to your apartment. And it's okay if your apartment is small or dirty and you can't cook nice food. You can invite them over and still have holy moments of community. Join in. We have this incredible opportunity to participate in what God is doing. Let's not let it pass us by. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are, we are so thankful that you are a God who is bigger and greater, more glorious and wonderful than we could ever know or imagine. That you are a God who dwells in the highest 
heaven, but at the same time, you are present in this place with us now. Your love for each one of us is deeper and wider and longer and higher than we could ever possibly imagine. And we thank you, Lord, that you invite us to participate in your incredible plan for this world. Father, for all of us who are joining together this morning, whether we are in this sanctuary or joining online, I pray that you will give us the strength, the humility, the courage, the devotion to be involved in the sort of community that you want us to be. I pray that you will give us the humility to put others before ourselves. I pray that you will give us the honesty to not wear masks, but to be real about what we're going through. I pray that you will give us the compassion towards one another to support one another, forgive one another. I pray that you will give us the courage to stand for justice. I pray that you will give us devotion to chase after you together no matter what the costs. God, you are good. And we want to join with you in what you are doing here and in this world. Give us the grace to do so in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.